Hey everyone, John here. Before we begin the episode this week, I wanted to tell you all about a little promotion I'm running. From the day this episode drops, August 18th, 2020, until the end of the month, for every five-star rating you leave this podcast on Apple Podcasts, I will donate $2 to an animal conservation organization. If you're willing to write a positive review along with that five-star rating, I'll up it to $5. Also, everyone who does a positive written review and sends me proof to either rossafaripod at gmail.com or messages me proof on Instagram at rossafari will get to vote on what organization gets the money. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app, you can still leave a rating or review through iTunes. Okay, here's this week's episode. That's it. She kind of hops at anything else you try to introduce to her. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hello, how are you? The world is still a crazy mess right now, but I hope you're finding ways to make the most of it and enjoy yourself, and maybe even taking some steps to make your small part of the world a better place. I know I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Ross Safari Podcast. Speaking of Ross Safari, don't forget the myriad ways you can show your support. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can subscribe, and please take a second to give it a five-star rating as it helps people find the show. Writing a review helps promote it even further. There's also at Ross Safari on all the social media platforms, rossafari.com, and rossafari.redbubble.com for merch. There's also patreon.com slash rossafari, where you can support the show and get some cool bonuses. I've already got some interesting additional interview segments set aside for my patrons there, and it also gets you stickers and all kinds of other fun stuff. You can reach me by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. I would really love to hear from you, especially if you have thoughts about the show or if you work in the zoo field and think you might want to be a guest. Thanks again to everyone for all your support. All right, y'all. I think it's time for a road trip out of this country. The border is still closed, but today we're sneaking into Canada to chat with Lisa Termini, a keeper at the Toronto Zoo. Lisa works in the Eurasian Wild section of the zoo, including working with Suva and Isla, the red pandas there. Today, I'm going to use my love of red pandas and some very good news the zoo announced to take you all on a deep dive of how the AZA Species Survival Plan works and what it's like for keepers involved in the program. For those that haven't listened to before or have forgotten, the AZA is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the accrediting body that holds zoos and aquariums to the highest standards. You'll hear Lisa refer to it as the AZA, but it's the same organization. They just adorably call it the AZA in Canada, which is just one of so many reasons I love that place. To learn more about the Toronto Zoo, check out www.torontozoo.com or at The Toronto Zoo on all of the major social media platforms. Okay, here's my interview with Lisa Termini. Let's start off by telling me what is your name and position. Uh, so my name is Lisa Termini, and I am a keeper grade three in uh, the Eurasia Wilds of the Toronto Zoo. 
Okay, cool. And when did you start at Toronto? Uh, so I actually started as a seasonal. Um, so it was just the summertime help uh, back in 2005. Um, it's quite uh, difficult. It takes a while to get in as a full-time person. Um, so I tried, uh, you know, various temp jobs and seasonal work and stuff for about four years, um, for five years. And then in 2010, I became a full-time keeper. Awesome. What was your, uh, what was your first area? Were you always in Eurasia Wilds? Um, you know what, Eurasia Wild seems to be, uh, Eurasia and Australasia kind of seem to be the two places that I keep returning to. It, um, Australasia was the very first, uh, that's a pavilion, um, that was the very first area that I started in as a seasonal, um, and also working in Eurasia. Um, and then I went to uh, the savannah, I was working with the elephants and the giraffes, um, that sort of place. I've been in the health unit working with um with our sort of sick and quarantine animals, but then also in our breeding and release program. So I worked with our black-footed ferrets. Oh, um, wow. And uh, so I worked with them, and I was actually able to go to Saskatchewan um, to do some monitoring of the black-footed ferrets there. Uh, we also work with um, Vancouver Island marmots. Uh, we have a breeding program in our health unit as well. Um, Puerto Rican crested toads, that, that those sort of programs uh, that we have uh, sort of ex situ in, in the zoo. Um, and then, um, where did I go? I've sort of been all over the, the zoo, um, back to the Savannah area and then now back to, uh, Eurasia again. That's awesome. I, you know, yeah. I'm going to tell you something funny quick. Every time that I talk to anybody from a small zoo, I'm yeah. like, oh, I love small zoos. They're so passionate and they get to do so much different stuff and it's so good. And then anytime I talk to someone from a really big zoo, I'm like, oh, I love big zoos so much. <laughs> they have all these cool opportunities and cool yeah. programs. I think I just yeah. have to accept that I like all zoos. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And our zoo is, um, I know some zoos, they, they tend to have like a cat keeper or, you know, a carnivore keeper or whatever. Um, our zoo is divided zoo geographically. So ours is uh, divided by regions of the, of the, the world of the earth. So, um, when you work in the, say the Africa, Africa Savannah section, it's a good opportunity because you get to work with all sorts of different animals. So one day you could be doing the lion routine with hyenas and, and an ostrich. And then the next day you're, you know, with the rhinos, or, or something like that. So it's a really great opportunity to, to kind of get to work with all sorts of different animals. So it's really that's neat. Really cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. I always kind of laugh too at zoos that red pandas and snow leopards are always so close to each other. They are. <laughs> yeah, they are. quite like to eat them in the real world, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily, ours don't seem to notice or, or, or smell or, or any of that stuff. So uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty chill. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. So is the Toronto Zoo your first zoo? Yes, yeah. Um, in Canada, there's 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 not that many uh, zoos, um, at least reputable zoos. Um, right. Um, so it's it's very um, it's kind of like you work at this one, or if, or if you're working at another one, you're you're moving out of province, or you're certainly moving four or five hours away, or something like that. But yeah, so this is the only zoo that I've ever worked at. Wow, that's awesome. That yeah. I, the first time that I got to the Toronto Zoo, my heart was just overflowing. I, I go to a lot of zoos, but that is that is a very, very special zoo. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, it's, I really love it. It's, it's a quite large zoo, too. You yes. know, you could spend the whole day, um, several days or to really get um, to get to see everything. It's 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 very beautiful where it's situated and everything as well. So, yeah, it's a great zoo. So um, it's a big zoo. 
And I know that people like I have definitely know I've been there and it's closed and I've been in Canadian wilderness and it can take an hour to get out of there. And I know that as I'm leaving, people are still walking back to Canadian wilderness. So do you know anything about like, when do you guys actually get everyone cleared out of the zoo and, and how does that work? Um, yeah, that's a little different. So, uh, the pavilions tend to be the keepers responsibilities. Um, when it's time to close up, you know, there might be an announcement over the PA that we're closing. Um, and then usually the keepers are the ones that kind of do that final sweep and then they'll lock the doors. Um, as far as the outside ones, that's usually up to security, um, our security guards to, to do that. So they, we have 24 hour security guards and they're just doing patrols all the time. Um, so they're, they're kind of the, the, the ones to wrangle up the last, uh, last little stragglers and stuff like that. Um, and because we're uh, located sort of in a valley, you know, there's sometimes, people that come popping in out of fe- over fences and stuff on the peripheral um, that the security oh, guards have to go and like, you know, uh, take care of and, and, and watch out for. So it's, it's good that they're there 24 hours kind of circling around and watching and stuff like that. So yeah, that's usually their job. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so before we get to the pandas, uh, what, what made you want to be a zookeeper? Um, well, it's funny because I, I actually went to school for nursing and I'm actually registered nurse, even though I don't practice. Um, I, I always really enjoyed, um, sort of biology and, and, you know, medical stuff and all that. Um, I, when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I want to work with animals, but I don't know how. And, you know, and it was very much like, oh, you, you have to be a vet. And that was the only option that was available to me. And I, and I, didn't have the grades or, or whatever to to be a vet, uh, so I was like, okay, well, you know, go into nursing and stuff. And so it was while I was in nursing, um, I met some zookeepers, and, and I was working at PetSmart actually um, okay. for uh, sort of a, a little part time job while I was in school. And I met some keepers from the Toronto Zoo, and they came in to buy toys for um, our parrots and stuff like that. So um, I just kind of attacked them basically and just sort of asking them a whole bunch of questions, you know, how do I get in? How do I get in? Whatever. Um, so I just sort of started that way, started from the, from the, from the, the bottom and it just kind of worked my way up. I always had, animals like my own pets and stuff like that you know chameleons and gerbils and whatever else so I was always um interested in animals and stuff like that but um yeah I took a diff- slightly different route than than some people do uh to get in but uh yeah I got in that's awesome <laughs> that's I all that matters it. yeah so I, I can see I'm seeing some ears on your shirt are you wearing a red panda shirt I am red panda <laughs> it's my awesome. red panda network shirt excellent I love that shirt yeah. that is so yeah. cool um, which is a great little transition into what we're actually going to be talking about today. Right. Um, so you are a keeper that deals with the red pandas at the Toronto Zoo, Suva and Illa. And I want to talk about just everything going on with them right now. Um, and, and I really want this to focus on the AZA uh, species survival plan and, and how that has led to, to the, the good news that you got to announce recently. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what the species survival plan is? Yeah, so the species survival plan is um, it's part of um, uh, sort of a global uh, network um, to sort of um, do 
uh, exitu breeding and stuff to sort of promote the the, the population of, of the animals. Um, red pandas are extremely endangered. Um, there could be anywhere between 2,500 to 10,000, depending on the, the numbers that you read, um, in the wild. Um, so zoos get together throughout uh, the world um, and, uh, and, and come up with a plan to sort of... Um, keep the genetic stock as strong as possible for the um, off chance or, or for the future where we would hope to be able to um, to release red pandas, let's say, into the wild need be, almost like a sort of Noah's Ark uh, type of situation. Um, so the SSP is like an AZA um sort of plan that they have. Um, and what they do is they have sort of a stud bookkeeper that keeps um, sort of tabs on which animals are in which institutions um, and, and, and how valuable, and, and I don't mean valuable as in like all of, their, all of them are valuable, but uh, valuable as sort of bloodlines because uh, we certainly don't want um, sort of the genetics to become watered down a bit if they're you know, breeding with, let's say, relative, you know, sisters or, or daughters and, and that sort of thing. Um, so they keep a tab on uh, what the genetic lines are, and then they make recommendations um, once a year, once a year to, um, if, if need be, to move animals to different institutions to facilitate um, any breeding. Um, so for the longest time, we had um, individuals that were um, post-breeding age or, or, or maybe even related, um, and so we did not get the recommendations to breed, obviously. Um, but right now, um, so last year, we uh, finally got um, two young individuals um, that both rank really high. I think um, I wrote it down here. Uh, Suva is, um, he's ranked second in AZA, and Isla is actually ranked uh, ninth. So they, they're quite like highly um a good pair, basically, you could say. Um, so Suva came to us last year in May, and Isla came to us uh, the end of November of uh, just last year as well. So they are both very new to the zoo, uh, both young and new to each other. And then we, um, after a time of you know adjustment to the to the new zoo, our new zoo and the, the you know the area and stuff like that. Um, they were introduced to each other in December, and then um, they stay together all the time, um, even as breeding season starts to ramp up in uh, January. Um, and then we managed to catch on our camera system um, breeding in um, on March 4th, awesome. which later on we were revealed to um, have produced a pregnancy, which we are still waiting for uh, the babies to come. But, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's currently pregnant with... We think at least uh, two cubs. So that's very exciting. That is amazing. That's yeah. so cool. When I visited the zoo in uh, September of 2018, um, Suva and Isla weren't there yet. And I got to see Ralphie. Yes. Uh, uh, had you worked with, with Ralphie at all? I had. I had. Um, so um, my history with the, the pandas has been uh, Cassie. Um, Ralphie and Melina, that, those are the ones that I'm familiar with, um, from the times that I worked. Um, yeah, so Ralphie and actually Melina, I'm not sure if you, you've seen that one. Um, they're in Saint Felicien, which is in Quebec. Um, so they're together, um, living out their retirement, I suppose you can say. Um, so yeah, I, I did get to work with them and they were, they were all really great individuals. Ralphie seemed, uh, I, when I, when I was there, he was being filmed for an international Red Panda Day video. Oh, yes. And he yeah. seemed to be the most compliant and loving little panda I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, is that accurate? 
Yes, yes. He's really he was really calm and really chill. Yeah, he was a really really great panda. That's awesome. Yeah. And is it is it hard yeah. to say goodbye when when they're going off to retirement? It is, you know, um, you get attached to them, even though you're not supposed to. Um, but, um, yeah, you get attached to them. You hope that where they go, they're going to be happy. Um, you know, it's, it's great that all the, a lot of the zoos, we, we all talk to each other. It's very easy to communicate with each other, you know, get, get updates on them and how they're doing and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, he's doing great out there. So that's the, that's the best you can hope for. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So now you have these two pandas, Suva mm-hmm. and Isla, who I have been saying her name wrong always. So that's good to know. Um, yeah. I keep saying Illa. I don't know why. But it, you Isla. know what? I, I apologize to her keepers in Woodland Park Zoo because I think it is Illa. Um, oh, but okay. it just rolled off the tongue as Isla and our end. And then it just kind of got stuck. So I apologize to those Woodland Park keepers. <laughs> Um, but she's Isla now. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I, I am actually pretty good friends with uh, one of the Woodland Park keepers I named Jamie. So I will make sure I let her know and okay. duke it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I apologize. She's still loved no matter what her name oh, is. Oh, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in here to tell you about this name. The panda in question has her name spelled I-L-A. I always saw it and thought it was Illa. It turns out the keepers at Woodland Park Zoo, where she was born, had pronounced her name Ela. At Toronto, they interpret it as Isla, so now that is her name. Three letters, three possible pronunciations. Just a fun little factoid for y'all. Okay, back to the interview. Speaking of love, though, Suva, uh, since you got him first, I have to tell you, on my Instagram account, my most liked photo of all time is a picture I took of Suva. Yeah. He's so gorgeous. He's... He's gorgeous. He's a sweetheart too. He's got just such a round, gentle face. You know, nice, nice coloring, nice blonde coloring. Yeah, he's a, he's a really great panda. So tell me, tell me all about him. Make me make me love him even more because I already love his cute little face. Tell me about his personality. He's um he's spunky. So he actually so when when Isla's came, um she was uh, she was told oh she's very um she gets scared a lot or, or, you know, whatever, but it's, it's actually Suva. That's the one that's a little bit more of a chicken than, than Isla. Um, he's tends to be the one that, um, when he's outside, like in the yard, let's say while I'm cleaning the house, he's popping his head in like, Hey, are you done? It's hot outside. I want to come inside. You know, he's the one who's like, I don't like being outside where it's hot. He wants to come inside. Um, we also have cameras on our nest boxes cause we're waiting for babies and it'll um, trigger the, the alarm that some, somebody's in the nest box. And I get all excited and I think, oh, it's Isla. She's in the nest box. And it's just him playing with a stick for like 15, <laughs> 20 minutes, just rolling around on his back, playing with this stick. And I'm just like, oh, I just love him to death. He's just really cute. I, I would yeah. pay a lot of money for access to just be able to see those cameras. Yeah. Well, I'll send you some still pictures I took oh, of that. Please do. That would be amazing. Yeah. That makes me yeah. so happy. Oh, man, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, it's funny. When I when I was taking pictures of him, I was, you know, leaning over appropriately, but, like, trying to get a good camera angle and stuff because he was yes, always yeah. right up to me. And that's why I got these good pictures. He was really curious, but then yeah. it seemed to hit him. Wait a minute. I don't know this dude. And he <laughs> around and took off running. And, and yeah. I could see, like, there was that confidence for a minute, and then he was like, nope, and was gone. 
Yeah, yeah, he's very like that. He's like, brave, brave, brave. Oh, gosh, no. And then he runs away. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so cute. But Isla's, Isla's very like, she's going to stare at you with those fantastic eyebrows that she has. And she's just going to look at the situation. She's a lot more calm. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't wait to to see Isla. I've I've met her parents. Um, right. And Yukiko at the uh, at Woodland Park Zoo. Yeah, um, she's got quite the are, following even here. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. her parents are, are I've met a, a decent number of pandas now and 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 um, gotten to feed and hang out with them. And they are two of the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Yukiko is he's an older boy, but he is just so calm. And and Hazel is is an absolute star. She's just yeah. She's the queen and she knows it. And so it's yeah. like, um, like their daughter is, is a mix of the two. Yeah. So she's shy, but uh, also like, yeah, tell me more. Just tell me more. Um, she's just, I just, I just love her. She's just a cutie. She loves her fruit. Mind you, she only likes three types of fruit. We've tried everything with her. She likes grapes, apples, pears. That's it. She kind of huffs at anything else you try to introduce <laughs> to her. Um, but uh, she's very food motivated. She loves those, those, those treats and stuff. So she, she's very excited. She's very eager to train and everything like that. Um, she's just a, yeah, she's just, I don't know. She's she's a special girl. I really like her a lot. That's so awesome. So what's the uh, the quarantine process like when you get these, these two individual pandas? And I know they were like at a different time. Um, do you get to work with them or are there quarantine keepers at the Toronto zoo or, or how does that work? There are quarantine keepers. Um, typically, we have just quarantine keepers working with those animals. Uh, the reason being we don't want to, um, if, you know, the whole idea of quarantine is you don't want to spread whatever that animal might bring in to your regular sort of uh, animals. Um, so we typically don't um, go back and forth. We, we, we could go to just sort of introduce ourselves and, and that sort of thing. But on a day-to-day basis, um, we typically uh, don't. Um, so we have, um, they come in and it generally quarantine is for about 30 days. Um, and then what we do, they do a full a sort of, um, health checkup when they first show up, um, and, you know, take blood example, you know, whatever. And then the idea is that, um, they're supposed to have three, uh, consistent fecals, weekly fecals. So like every say Tuesday for three weeks, of clear of parasites or, or any other, you know, sort of foreign bodies and stuff like that. And then once they clear that quarantine, then they can move into the, the general sort of population of animals. So yeah, we do have a wildlife health center that has, um, hospital sort of keepers and quarantine keepers there. Um, they send us updates and stuff like that and pictures and stuff like that. And uh, we talk, you know, how are they doing and get them used to the food that we have here at the zoo, if it is different than what they had when they were at the other zoo that they were at. Um, and then after 30 days, um, they clear and they come to the house. And so um, they were together in the house for maybe about a month. I think we put them together. I wrote that down, too, because I have a terrible memory. Um, <laughs> December 11th. Um, so she so for about a month. They were in the same house together, um, smelling each other, seeing each other, sniffing each other through door, like through mesh doors and stuff like that. So, um, and it was very, it was a very chill sort of introduction with each other. Yeah. That's cool. And they got along well. Which is good. That's what you want. (laughs) Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so they got along well right away? Yeah. 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 For sure. I love wears the pants though in the relationship. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Suva yeah, yeah. seems yeah. That just that seems from what I what I've yeah, seen. She's, of Suva, that she's seems... the sassy pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
just in general, but because uh, it sounds like they got along great, but in general, um, what do you guys as keepers do to ensure that they're getting along or, or, you know, whatever, make sure that they're not, I mean, obviously you're going to make sure they're not going to hurt each other, but just how yeah. do you guys make, how do you foster their relationship with each other? Um, so yeah, so the first step was just being in the same house together, um, seeing each other, smelling each other, but not having contact with each other. Um, so, and then what we would do is, um, get, uh, sort of, so if, if Suva was there first, he's very familiar with the house, the exhibits. When Isla showed up, um, she sort of stayed in one pen just at the very beginning because she was, you know, a bit stressed out and stuff like that from her moves. Um, but so when she became comfortable in her own pen, uh, then we would start introducing her to the rest of the, the pens in the house that where Suva was. So she can investigate everywhere and smell everywhere that he's been, um, you know, lick it or, or do whatever else she needs to do. Um, and then we would put her out onto one of the exhibits just by herself. She would become very familiar with that exhibit. Um, and then Suva would be in the other one because we have uh, two exhibits basically that right. um, don't, don't really connect. Uh, other than through the house. Um, and then we would sort of switch it up. So then she would go to the next, the other exhibit and he would be in that other one. He would smell her now and she would get used to the other exhibit. So when she was used to all the exhibits, all of the pens, um, then that's when we decided to put them together. And uh, we did it so that all of the sort of slides were open. It was a, it was a very big, all the doors to the exhibits, you know, uh, were open as well. So, um, if there was any chasing involved, there was multiple sort of escape routes for, for those animals to get away from each other. Um, we even had like our CO2 canisters, which is just like a burst of, of, of air, um, in case we needed to actually separate the two, if they were being really aggressive with each other, there was none of that, but you know, we always want to be sure. Um, and we just had multiple keepers in watching from the inside of the house, watching the exhibit and, and that sort of thing. Um, just in case anything happened, but, um, it, you know, it's better to be prepared, um, and then have nothing really happen than uh, to not be prepared because yeah, we put them together. There was a couple of sniffing and a little bit of growling and a swatting every once in a while, but in general, by three hours later, I think I took a picture of them sleeping basically on the same platform with each other. So Aww. yeah, that's yeah. so great. Um, yeah. now when it comes to breeding behaviors, do you mm -hmm. guys do anything specific to encourage that? Light some candles, play some uh, Marvin. Yeah, <laughs> some Barry um, White or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you can do for that, or do you guys just set them up and and hope they uh, have some fun? Pretty much, that's it. Um, we don't do anything different. Um, we don't. Like we, we may not over clean, like we don't want to, we certainly clean their exhibits and, and their, their pens and stuff, but we don't like bleach it or something like that because we don't want to destroy, um, all the scents, scents that they've been leaving around and stuff like that. Um, but uh, no, other than that, we just let them go at it. Um, they were both new to us, so we didn't know if they were too young, um, you know, cause it was you know, both their first breeding season, I guess it was Suva's second, but, um, you know, nothing produced yet. He wasn't actually mated with anybody, right. um, with anyone. So, uh, yeah, you just let them go at it. And thankfully we had like, um, the camera systems, um, we didn't have them in the nest boxes yet, but we had them out on the pens and the exhibits and stuff like that. So we were able to watch, um, and just, uh, see the interaction between the two. You could see, um, just increasing scent marking, her following and, you know, doing that, you know, a thing with her tongue and stuff like that. So, um, but no, as far as to facilitate anything, um, not really other than we just 
always kept them together. Makes sense. And just let them have access to to everything. Yeah. Cool. So ever since they've been together, they haven't been separated from each other. Oh, that's so sweet. I really yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, will you separate them once the Cubs come? I know that – I think that's standard practice, isn't it? Or it, it it's There's two trains of thought. There's like separate mom – right now or even a month before no access from the mail and then okay. there's the more european style where it's just like let things you know just just be as normal as possible and that's kind of where we're going i think because suva is certainly less dominant than than isla like she like i said wears the pants she swats at him she lets him know um when she doesn't want him around um, so I, I'm, we're confident that she's just going to keep doing that. So we're always watching body language between the two, but as, um, as of now, they are just going to stay together. Oh, wow. That's really yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, what happens, you know, uh, I know that in general animals are sometimes not good parents and sometimes are, right. and especially first parents uh, can struggle with it their first time. For sure. So what happens if, if these two are like, ew, what are these little cubs? No, thank you. What do you guys do then? Um, well, it, it, I suppose it all depends on, on when she gives birth. There's always the chance that she could kill them right away. Um, it, it, when she's giving birth. Um, and unfortunately, fortunately, if we're not around, um, it, that might happen. That is definitely a possibility. Um, so we actually wrote up a birth management plan, which is kind of like, uh, what to expect when you're expecting for a red panda version. Um, and it's just a uh, thing to, um, you know, show what typical labor looks like, what, you know, what's normal, what's not, when should you call the vets, what's, you know, whatever. Um, but I, Ideally, um, we're hoping we don't have to do anything. She's going to have these babies. She's going to be a great mom. She's going to raise them. They're going to nurse, etc. We go in, we, you know, we look at them on the cameras, um, but we go in once, twice a day just to drop some food, um, do a quick cleaning, um, give some water, and then we're out of there. Um, uh, if that doesn't happen, let's say she's a good mom, but she's not producing milk or she won't let them nurse. Uh, we have a plan for that where we would have to possibly do supplementation feeding. Uh, so where we would have to, uh, bottle feed or tube feed the, the babies, but she would, they would remain with her. And that's, the second ideal, right? Yeah. Um, so sh they can learn how to be pandas, um, get the comfort and uh, the care from the mom. Um, but we would have to supplement with the with the milk. The third uh, option is the less ideal, where um, you know she's being aggressive to the babies, or there's just health. Some, there's something wrong with the babies health wise. Um, then the babies would need to be uh, pulled and taken to our health unit, uh, where they would be sort of. Taken care of by the vets, by the vet, veterinary technicians, um, and bottle fed and, and hand reared basically. Um, and then hope for reintroduction a little bit later once they're weaned, um, if possible. So we have a sort of all the scenarios all sort of written up, but, um, this is actually our first birth in like 24 years. I actually, uh, knock on wood, we haven't had the birth yet, but, um, this is our first, um, pregnancy that thus this far in like 24 years. So a lot of those keepers that um, worked with the, the, the red pandas when we had babies are no longer at the zoo. So um, we know we're, we're kind of going by the seat of our pants a little bit here, but of course we've been reaching out to all this different organizations and stuff like that and getting lots of help and stuff like that. But we won't know what, what it's like or what she's like, obviously until it actually happens. So yeah. That's really exciting. 
Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everything works out well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, very cool. So uh, um, on a quick side note, I know that it was uh, recently decided uh, that there are two species of red pandas, uh, mm-hmm. Fulch and Stiani, um, which were originally considered to be, I guess, two subspecies. Yes, I've read that, yeah. Yeah, so which which species are, are these guys? We have the Stianis, the okay. uh, Refulgans, yeah, so... Uh, that's the one that uh, that we've had, and I think we've pretty much always had that that spe- uh, species, subspecies. I'm I know sure. it's so weird um, to change it. Now. Yeah, yeah, um, at our zoo, so that's the one we're familiar with. Awesome. So, yeah, um, I, I've seen the video, but for people that haven't, how did you find out that uh, that Isla was pregnant, and and how did you train her for that experience? Because it's it's the cutest thing ever. Yeah. Um, I know, um, that she was trained for ultrasound training. Um, I don't know what it looked like uh, at Woodland Park. So she kind of came sort of preloaded, I suppose you can say. (laughs) Um, I don't know exactly how they did it. I'm assuming they used sort of the same stand, um, as, as we did. Um, but I have seen other zoos sort of just have the animal stand there and you can kind of ultrasound under them. Um, so I, you know, I can't take all the credit. Um, I think she kind of came learn, uh, knowing a lot of stuff already. Uh, but we had that, uh, tea stand set up already from our previous females. It was always something that we trained them, um, for. Um, so, and like I said, she loves her fruit, um, a lot. So she would just stand there forever. Um, what I did was, um, also I had sort of a, travel size little deodorant that I would sort of use as a fake ultrasound probe. Um, and so what I did was I started to uh, wet her belly with a spray bottle of warm water uh, because they're very, very furry. It's hard for the ultrasound uh, gel and the ultrasound to penetrate properly with all that fur. Um, so I would spray her belly with a little bit of warm water and always just reinforcing her as, as she went along. Um, so it was always something that she was comfortable with. And the, the beauty of the tea stand too is that she can just sort of get down and walk away whenever she wanted. It was, it was her choice to be up on that stand. So, um, you know, I'd spray down her belly and then rub the, the, the sort of the deodorant stick on her belly to sort of pretend that it was the, um, ultrasound probe. Um, so when it came time to the actual, the, the vets coming and actually doing a real ultrasound, um, it was, she was really, really good. Um, and when she was, uh, earlier on in her pregnancy, she was, she was really good. She was really, um, she would stay, she would kind of like scoot her little back legs farther and farther back as the ultrasound went along. So the, the vet was, you know, usually in a good position at the beginning. And then by the end, he was like reaching all the way out because she just kept <laughs> scooting the back legs, but keeping the front legs up on the, the platform just so that she could still get her treats. It was really, really cute. Um, but, um, and then as, as a pregnancy got along, she got a little bit more sensitive, um, just having that area touched. Um, so it was a lot of, she would come up, be ultrasounded, but then she would be like, um, eh, I'm not feeling this. And she would kind of get down, wander around, sniff everything. And then she would come back because of all of that um, sort of, I guess, training and, you know, familiarization she had with it. She was, uh, she was a rock star. Yeah. I can't take much credit for it. She was, she did everything. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, does anything, I know you said not much, uh, you kind of just give her food and they're letting her live her life other than the, the checkups. So I assume that nothing much has changed in her daily or weekly care now. Um, I, Guess not. No, no. As far as um, just increasing her biscuits, so we uh, we used to weigh them um, 
uh, like once we were sure of sort of their stable weight, we'd only weigh them, let's say once a month, maybe every two weeks. Um, but as it came now, we were definitely uh, weighing her weekly. Uh, and then now we're weighing her two times a week um, just to make sure because they're, as she's growing babies, her, you know, her, she needs more food. So we were just always wanted to make sure that we were on top of um, providing the, the, the right amount of food to her. Um, so uh, honestly, other than um, uh, just increasing her, her biscuits, her, her biscuit allowance, um, and always making sure she had a, you know, a, a good amount of bamboo, there hasn't been anything much. Uh, I had to put up a second log up to a platform because she was having trouble getting up um <laughs> little babies were getting in the way and so she was she was kind of grunting a little bit as she was trying to pull herself up so i had to put a little log up to help her um but other than that um yeah nothing um and then also the focus started turning towards the, the nest boxes right so she's got three nest boxes that she can choose from um, so it was, um, usually those nest boxes stay in all year, but they're usually empty, right? Cause they don't really go in there a lot. They might go in there to eat a biscuit and then leave. Uh, but now we started to, um, provide bedding. Uh, so we'll put down some shavings for them and then we would, uh, leave sticks, uh, dried up bamboo, le- uh, you know, uh, branches and um you know wood wool and straw and stuff like that um and so she would start to to build her her own nest as as needed um so that's the only thing that that sort of changed towards um the birthing time very cool so how does it feel to have contributed to the conservation of an incredibly endangered species it feels really good. Um, it, 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 it certainly doesn't hurt that they're just really great animals. Um, very interesting, like just everything about them. A carnivore that eats bamboo and, you know, is, you know, looks like a giant panda, but is not related to a giant panda. And, and I actually worked with giant pandas and it's sometimes I find myself, I have to, you know, say to myself, no, they're not related, but they they have so many similarities and, and even just working with both of them, knowing how they eat bamboo and there's their, what they like about bamboo and, you know, how, uh, you know, sometimes they, they can have food, let's say in their pen, um, but they, they don't want to eat it. But then if you go in and you sort of break up the day with like a little bit of training or with some fruit, and then all of a sudden it kind of jump starts them to start eating again, which is a very giant panda thing that they used to do. And um, I don't know. It's just it's it's they're just unique, unique species, obviously extremely adorable. Um, that helps as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they're just a really great animal to work with. So, yes, I'm, I'm happy to, to work with endangered species and help in any way I can. But they're honestly a joy to work with as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. thank you so much for talking to me about the pandas. Yeah, no problem. And so that is where the interview ended on July 8th, 2020, with two babies in Isla's womb waiting to be born. The cubs were born on July 14th and came out looking adorable and healthy. Isla was a great and attentive mother right from the start, cuddling her cubs and giving them lots of love. Unfortunately, it turns out that Isla wasn't producing as much milk as necessary to take care of both cubs. One grew weak and was removed to the ICU in the zoo's wildlife health center. They gave the cub regular feedings and additional care, and her condition improved enough that she was able to be reunited with Isla and her sister, with both cubs receiving additional feedings to make up for any lack of nutrients coming from their mom. Sadly, it wasn't enough, and the smaller cub was returned to the ICU and put in an incubator, where she passed away. 
The second cub also started to show signs of deterioration, and the zoo staff quickly intervened again, providing the remaining little girl with antibiotics, subcutaneous fluids, and additional care. As of July 30th, this cub was drastically below weight and being fed by a feeding tube, with the hopes of having her back on the nipple or bottle feeding within the next week. I messaged Lisa to talk about the loss of the first cub and the hopes for the second one. She told me that the loss was devastating, obviously, but that the team was incredibly focused on the remaining cub. She said that she is feisty, squeaky, and fierce, and that while not out of the woods yet, she is doing significantly better. And that's life when you work with animals. Excitement and positivity can turn on a dime and be so very hard. Veterinarians are between two and three times more likely to die by suicide than the average population. But these people, these keepers, these vets, they give so much. In the wild, both cubs would be gone. Instead, at the Toronto Zoo, one cub had a chance built around the incredible plan worked out by Lisa and her team, and another one still does. An incredible group of people comes together to work tirelessly to save the life of one little animal that currently weighs 126 grams. Even in sorrow, there is incredible beauty in that. And, to not end the episode on an entirely depressing note, I did some research and found out that it is not uncommon for first-time red panda mothers to have problems producing milk. But many often go on to give birth to multiple healthy litters after the first. So regardless of what happens with the remaining cub at Toronto this year, it's very likely that Suva and Isla will go on to have more cubs that will serve as incredible ambassadors for their species. I send all of my love and respect to the entire staff at the Toronto Zoo, and especially to Lisa, for their loss, but also for their incredible, incredible fight and the amazing work that they are doing every day. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.